0: Hello, this is Marc Imbert speaking, Chief Editor of the European Respiratory Journal. This is the first podcast of the new year, and I wish you all a happy new year and hope that you will enjoy the content of the ERJ in the next few months. In the January issue of the journal, you will find a few important articles and editorials on air pollution. It is my great pleasure to speak today with the lead author of the main original article of this series of manuscripts, Professor Nico Props hench Head Unit Chronic Disease Epidemiology, from the Swiss Tropical and Health Institute in Basel, Switzerland. This study is entitled Adult Lung Function and Long-Term Air Pollution Exposure, ESCAPE, a multicenter Cohort Study and Meta-Analysis. Good morning, Nicole. Thanks very much for agreeing to spend some time with us to discuss your data. Good morning, Mark. It's a great pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks again. So, tell me, what features of the protocol make the study and its results unique?
1: First of all, we've um, really brought together um, a lot of -of state-of-the-art respiratory longitudinal cohorts across Europe. So the study really covers different cities and regions across Europe. And then we applied to those uh, regions and cities actually really state-of-the-art individual level exposure assessment at the residential address and applied um, really harmonized and state-of-the-art land use regression models to really estimate the exposure for NO2, NOx and various components of a particular matter. Also, what should be said about what makes the study unique is that we've really also made a great effort in harmonizing the covariate and outcome definition. Uh, we have applied a very uh, standardized analytical approach at the study level and then meta-analyzed um, the associations between air pollution and lung function parameters, um, and maybe to mention it's really a, a very large data set
0: of its kind. All right. So, Nicole, what are the strengths of the study?
1: I would say the strength of the study is uh, really this um, very detailed and harmonized data that we also had not only on the exposure and on the, on the outcome levels, but also that we were really look, um, to adjust, uh, able to adjust for potential relevant confounders. Uh, we were really a priori to identify relevant potential effect modifiers and could do quite detailed sensitivity analysis, for example, also to um, evaluate non-participation and potentially bias arising from that. We did not find evidence for, for such bias. And also to mention that we've really conducted uniform, uh, very high-quality spirometry protocols in all of the studies, which is, of course, very costly effects were After are not done, very huge effects.
0: Well, thank you. And what are the weaknesses of the study? The
1: biggest weakness, uh, which is just to mention that really an unresolvable issue because um, if you want to apply the most modern state-of-the-art technology that wasn't available 10 years ago, then of course it needs some back extrapolation of exposure assessment. So the measurement campaigns for those studies were conducted in some cases more than 20 years after the baseline spirometry. So if we wanted to look at change in lung function, we actually had to back extrapolate exposure assessment, and we thereby had to make the assumption that the spatial contrast remained unaltered within the regions, because at the time of the baseline spirometry, we only had central measurement stations available, so we, we had to make this assumption. Uh, if you look at longitudinal cohort studies, of course, um, they are faced by changes in technology coming with regard to spirometry devices. So some Some studies had to actually change the spirometers, but again, I have to say, um, all of the studies applied very detailed quality control assessments and assessments of potential need for correction factors for such changes in spirometry devices. Maybe a weakness to mention, much as in many air pollution studies, we were modeling exposure at the residential address. And um, finally, we I think we'll talk later about the real finding of um, interaction with obesity as an obesity parameter across study. We really only had BMI available. Um, when actually, I mean, of course, an interest would be maybe like in visceral fat. So it's a part of now, in our study, for example, measuring those other obesity parameters. All right. So, in
0: contrast to the association between air pollution and the level of lung function measured cross-sectionally, the study did not find an association between air pollution and lung function decline. Does this imply that air pollution does not impact on the age-related course of lung function?
1: No, I I would like to make that very strong um, statement that we cannot conclude that from our data. First of all, of course, the association with cross-sectional lung function might in part be also reflecting an effect on change in lung function because we know level of lung function is reflecting growth during adulthood and uh, during childhood and change during adulthood. Also... When you look at the change in lung function over time, of course, we had the issue that I've already alluded to about the need for extrapolation of exposure that might have led to an imprecision of exposure assessment in the past. Um, The spirometries were conducted at different seasons. We had this change in spirometry devices over time, and we also lacked harmonized information on short-term exposures, although in our study in Zapata, we did not see that this would actually um, bias any result. In addition, we have, of course, the heterogeneity of study populations. We only had 10 years of follow-up, so whether we can really, with 10 years of follow-up, measure a change in lung function and an association with air pollution exposure is also a matter of debate. And finally, just if we look in the Zapalya cohort findings, I have to say the strongest effects that we always found on change in lung functions, lung function were really on the midflow and the mid flow was not available for from all the cohorts. So given all this potential limitation that we actually believe would be more likely to bias any association towards the uh, we very much think what we need is um really large longitudinal cohorts across Europe and, in fact, across the globe. We should benefit from the higher exposure levels that we see also now in the, in the megacities across the globe The longitudinal cohorts are being set up. So I, I think we really need to keep looking into this issue. All
0: right. So we'll discuss obesity in a few minutes. But first, your study did not observe interactions with smoking or gender. And what are the possible explanations for that?
1: In fact, with regard to gender, let me maybe just make that point. Um, we did, when we looked, for example, at the NO2 effects on FEV1 and FVC, we did have suggestion for a stronger effect in females, but the differences were not statistically significant. So we felt uncomfortable making a big issue out of it. And very interesting, uh, when we actually looked at both gender and obesity, we really noted that the um, obesity interactions were much stronger and in fact, when we then looked at um, stratification, sort of like the stratification by obesity within the gender groups, we saw that in both men and women, this um, obesity interaction was, was very present. So, of course, if you look at the past data, the gender interactions um, or differences in gender sensitivity to both air pollution and, for that matter, smoking are not very consistent. And, of course, few studies have looked at the Combination of gender and obesity. And then acknowledge that with, even with the large sample size that we had, once we started looking at three-way interaction, of course, we did not have the statistical power to really come to firm, firm conclusion regarding that. Uh with regard to smoking, um yes, I mean we were that's a positive effect that we don't have a very good explanation for. Again, if you look at the evidence from other studies, um the interaction with smoking is not a very consistent one. And it's also very Puzzling and maybe a bit amazing when you look at genetic studies of lung function. In fact, the interaction by smoking is also not very strong. And I think part of that really has to do with the fact that we don't really, I mean smoking is in a way made by choice, it's in a made in a, in a way also driven by your some susceptibility to smoking effects, and again in this large cohort we could assess the interaction with current smoking status. So uh, because. The harmonization of smoking data, smoking intensity, past smoking history across the cohorts did not allow us to really go into all the detail that we would need with sufficient power. So again, I would not say there is a very firm conclusion about not seeing interaction with smoking. All right. So
0: now let's discuss a bit of uh, obesity. So how credible is the reported air pollution obesity interaction, and what are the possible underlying mechanisms, according to you?
1: The interaction that we observed in terms of both the um, statistical level of interaction, but also, importantly, the differences in effect size were, in fact, very strong. And in Sapaldia, we have also previously seen um, interactions with obesity in the sense that improvements that in air quality today, we saw in Sapaldia over 10 years of follow-up, were in fact also very strongly modified by obesity. So, I think from the from the observed interaction, the, the findings are very credible. I think with regard to the me- mechanisms, uh, we cannot make a firm conclusion, we can only hypothesize. And I think the hypothesis that we would want to really um, pursue with um, also uh, molecular studies is really this notion that of course both obesity and air pollution really impact on low-grade systemic inflammation, and so that we believe that there might really be a synergy with regard to the effects on the lung that are related to the systemic inflammation. But this is really um, needing follow-up studies. Uh, important to also make the point that, of course, both in mouse models and more recently in a, what I would call really also a landmark paper by my, by the group in of Mike Jarrett, in the U.S. in children, uh, we see air pollution effects on BMI and insulin resistance, um, possibly through increases in adipose tissue tissue inflammation. So I think this is a very important area to pursue. All right.
0: And what is the relevance of the observed air pollution-obesity interaction with regard to air pollution's global burden of disease estimates?
1: I think this is a, is a fundamental issue also with regard to um, really the year of the air um, and the lung that it really points very importantly, first of all, to the need for health in all policies because our findings could, of course, mean that um, the obesity epidemic would accentuate um, air pollution effects. That's also very highly relevant to the higher pollution levels in megacities across the globe, which, of course, go hand in hand with an obesity epidemic that we see. In our Sepalia study, the fact that we did actually find that obese people did no longer benefit um, from improvements in air quality with regard to their lung, maybe because they have undergone permanent damage, is also very much pointing to that level. And then when we talk about and think about the estimates for contribution of for example risk factors such as obesity or air pollution to the local burden of disease, the global estimates for burden of disease. One of course big limitation in there is the fact that we treat uh, risk factors independently and do not take interactions or for that matter also susceptibilities into consideration. And so what we really need to the global burden of disease estimates also for air pollution is to really think about what I call interact-on approaches, We boils down to cohort need for large, complex and longitudinal cohort data that allows across the globe to look into into these interactions. Thank you. A final question,
0: Nicole. Um, Assigning causality to associations between environmental exposures and chronic disease outcomes is very challenging. Randomized control trials or randomized trials are not ethically acceptable for potentially hazardous pollutants. How can the escape results from observational studies take a step further with regard to understand causality?
1: Well, maybe first to make the point that you importantly raise. I mean, we can't do randomized studies on air pollution. And we have to, as we've already said, I mean, we have to live with the fact that um, that's the best data that we have. Even though we have some back extrapolation issues, I think we need to be guided by this observational evidence and need to act upon it. And of course, if we, with much of the interventions that we would recommend to further reduce and keep air pollution at very low levels, many of these interventions would of course benefit, um, you know, tackling the obesity epidemic, promote physical um, activity uh, by, by making people really change their behavior with regard to be less likely to travel by car, more likely to walk. So that's maybe an important point to make. Uh, but of course, with regard to policy, this understanding of causality is a very important aspect, and um, I think we have to essentially now benefit from the technical feasibilities with regard to both um, biomarkers, omics systems biology on the one hand, but censoring methods and on the other hand, to really capture the in-body, internal endogenous, but also the exogenous exposome be it on air pollution, but of course also on its uh, potentially important confounders such as um, noise uh, uh, exposure from t- traffic and other sources. And a lot of the ESCAPE studies are now also have embarked in this large EU project of Exposomics, uh, funded by the EU, where the PI's Paolo um, Vines uh, from Imperial College, to which I also um, contribute and am a, a co-investigator of, where we really try to apply these new methods towards improving um causal and mechanistic understanding of air pollution effects. I think we can also, of course, um, improve assessment of air quality by also moving indoors, uh, measuring exposure at the the workplace, much of which can, of course, be improved by, again, the censoring methods. And then we also need, I think, to understand the air pollution association with the obesity parameters and biomarkers by, again, applying those same methods and tools. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Nicole, for discussing your very important escape article with us. Uh, I strongly recommend to read it together with the two editorials on air pollution published in the January issue of the European Respiratory Journal. Uh, this was Marc Ambert, Chief Editor of the ERJ, discussing today with uh, Professor Nicole Probst-Hench from the Swiss Tropical and Health Institute in Basel, Switzerland. Happy New Year, Nicole, and Happy New Year to all. Thank you, Sam, to you, Mark, and to everybody. Thank you very much.